Hello and welcome to Reorg's Europe podcast. My name is Luca Rossi and I'm the co-deputy editor here in London. Today with me I have the other co-deputy editor, Jay Shrikalia, who is going to give us the latest on Thomas Cook, as well as financial analyst Carolina Hienonen, who will speak about the Swiss steelmaker Schmoltz and Bickenbach. Let's start with Thomas Cook. The UK travel company has been in negotiations about restructuring and wants to get a deal done by the end of this month, but there has been some holds up. Can you talk us through what's been going on? Sure, Luca. There is lots of pressure to get this deal done in the next few weeks because the company needs to secure new money to fund its working capital needs in October and November. Negotiations did develop through the summer months, but now there are some real last-minute concerns. Let's first take a look at what type of deal this is. It's a debt-for-equity swap that requires a great deal of new money. The group structure will be reorganized, including legal, economic and financial separation of the tour operator business from the airline business. The company's largest shareholder, Foson, will provide a £450 million loan facility. Lenders will grant a £300 million RCF and creditors will give £150 million in new money. This totals £900 million, but there have been reports of this increasing to £1.1 billion. In return, lenders and bondholders providing new money will own 78% of the holding company. The Holdco will own up to 75% of the airline business and 25% of the tour operator. Fosil will own up to a quarter of the airline and three quarters of the tour operator. And what about existing bondholders who do not give any new money? What do they get? Under the current proposal, all of the company's existing bonds and RCF, which totals just under 1.7 million euros, will be equitized in return for a 15% share in Thomas Cook's holding company and an 81 million pick. So this is what non-new money providers will be left with. Obviously, this recovery is low. Some of these bondholders were initially comforted by a potential payout under CDS protection, but this has its own challenges. That's interesting. What has been the issue with the company's uh, credit default swaps? Well, this group of CDS holders, which includes some hedge funds, are unsure that the CDS contract they signed will fulfill its promise of financial protection in the case of a debt restructuring. This is because the proposed plan includes a full equitization of the unsecured notes, so there wouldn't be deliverable bonds to tender in a CDS auction. This group of bondholders has a blocking stake and has threatened to block the company's scheme of arrangement. If this happens, the company could well be forced into administration. And what are the chances of this happening? Well, it's a case of wait and see for now. The company filed for Chapter 15 recognition of the scheme earlier this week, and the US filing doesn't describe the company as insolvent. So there is a lot of uncertainty around whether this will trigger a CDS payout. 
ISDA's Determinations Committee said today that it is considering the question of whether a credit event has occurred following the company's application for Chapter 15 and has scheduled another meeting on September the 23rd. But even if ISDA determines that a credit event has occurred, the scheme meeting and sanction hearing are due to take place on the 27th and 30th of this month, meaning any auction for the CDS would likely take place after the scheme has been voted on and approved. If that happens, the underlying debt securities will no longer exist, making the claim void. On the other hand, if ISDA says the Chapter 15 filing does not constitute a credit event, then the company could be looking again at uh, an administration as bondholders could block the scheme. The case has reawakened a debate around CDS protection. Investors are citing examples where payment was made for engineered triggers such as Kodiri or Norskoskog and are arguing that in Thomas Cook's restructuring, which requires debt equitization and new capital, the spirit of the rules would not be upheld if their claims didn't qualify for CDS compensation. Thanks, Jayshree. Carolina, Swiss steelmaker Schmolzen-Bickenbach cut its EBDA guidance for the second time in only a few months. Could you please explain what was the driver behind that? Sure. The group produces specialized long steel, mainly for the European automotive and mechanical engineering markets, both of which have been softening significantly in recent months. Add the intensifying trade war rhetoric into the mix, and the cyclical steel industry overall has been hit with increased uncertainty. To adapt, the group has said it aims to deliver some 50 million of cost savings through the year, of which less than half were realized in the first six months. Executing on these measures is now even more crucial to actively manage during the downturn. Cutting the EBITDA guidance from 130 to 170 million all the way down to the current 70 to 100 million for 2019 translates to little to no EBITDA for the second half of the year, as the first half already delivered close to 70 million. That means further measures to adapt are needed to preserve free cash flow and liquidity. Interesting. It seems like a pretty complicated situation. So in addition to delivering on the cost savings, then what could help the group weather the cycle? While there is little to be done in terms of the broader market, the group has some buffers to help it absorb the downturn in the short run. It has significant positive networking capital, standing at almost 940 million as of the end of the second quarter. As the working capital required in the business naturally fluctuates with the volumes produced and sold, this means that any decline in revenues should be compensated to some extent with a working capital release to support free cash flow generation. Without this positive working capital impact, the group has been burning cash and therefore this is the most important strategic tool for the group at the moment. The most important component in the group's working capital is its inventories, which currently stand at 900 million, and selling these down was behind the positive free cash flow seen in the second quarter. We expect that the group will continue to sell down on these inventories, not to the same extent as seen in the first half of the year, but still with some positive cash flow impact materializing. Some additional relief comes from the fact that the group's maintenance capex needs are linked to volumes produced, so a softer market allows for a lower spend. But as maintenance is typically carried out in the second half of the year, we are still expecting there to be significant capex spend this year. 
And what about the capital structure? So where are the key pressure points here? Well, the group did refinance its 200 million senior secured notes in 2017, tapping an additional 150 million in 2018, meaning it now has no maturities before 2022. This adds some important flexibility for the group. However, with the EBITDA declining at the rate it is, the group's leverage is rapidly increasing and is likely to reach 10 turns in the downside forecast. This is clearly unsustainable in the long run, and in the short run, the group has some support from nearly 250 million available under its RCF. Um, but the down cycles in the industry typically extend beyond a single fiscal year, and therefore 2020 is likely to see continued impact and potentially even further deterioration as the cash flow support from working capital release diminishes. Efficiently managing this working capital and delivering on the cost efficiency plan while proactively addressing the covenant headroom are key for weathering the storm for now. But if the downturn persists beyond 2020, the company might run out of room for maneuver in the balance sheet. Thanks, Caroline, and thanks everyone for listening to our bi-weekly European podcast. We will be here again in two weeks' time. Ciao!